Welcome to the Anything Goes podcast. My name is Anna Richards, and this is my sacred space to have honest, real, empowering, fun, and big conversations. My mission is to not just motivate and inspire with each episode, but to push boundaries and teach you how to live your own life sovereignly, boldly, and unapologetically. I aim to bring you humor, depth, differing of opinions, and more. But one thing I can promise you is this is the podcast where anything goes. This episode is fundamentally going to be the single-handed biggest, most emotional, most healing episode that Anything Goes will ever record. And I can absolutely stand on that hill and say that with every cell in my being because it's my story. It's my full story. It is time to share it. And I'm ready. I am whole. I am healed. I have been for a very long time. It's been over 10 years now. But I will offer you this, that my story does contain 10 years of abuse longer, sexual and violent. So I don't believe in trigger warnings. I never have used them. I'm a badass like that. I just, I think if we're triggered, then we need to lean in and we need to heal and that's the work. However, I will absolutely, of course, trigger warning this. I know just the bigness of this conversation. I know what this kind of conversation and just a woman using words that I'm about to, sharing so graphically what I'm about to, can absolutely and will absolutely trigger some women. So if you are not yet ready to hear my story, that's okay. This is not the episode for you. I will absolutely trigger warning that. Um, I am going to be sharing stories with graphic detailing and specific terms. I will not hide away from anything. So it's not even a warning. It's just that, yeah, you need to know where you are at in your healing journey. And if you are not ready to hear my story yet, then stop this episode here. However, if you continue to listen on, I honor you and I just thank you for and trust you to hold the space for me as I share this story, but also hold the space for you to just be kind to yourself, take breaks, take a breath, and just know that every cell in my being is whole and every cell in my being is healed and has been for a very long time, as I said, and I'm ready now to share the story with the world because I think you're ready. I think the world is ready. And when Grace Tame, a woman that I deeply revere and respect, she won Australian of the Year, gave her acceptance speech, (laughs) I sobbed my absolute eyes out not at her story, but at the fact as a woman who had suffered or gone through such sexual abuse and violence, she just stood in her power 
and used terms and shared her story. And I thought, the world's ready. The world is ready. And she says in her acceptance speech that, yes, the discussion of child sexual abuse is uncomfortable, but nothing is more uncomfortable than sexual abuse itself. And she goes on to say, so let us redirect that discomfort to where it belongs, at the feet of the perpetrators of these crimes. And that is what I aim to do today, to bring the darkness into light and to just share my truth. It's not even about, fuck, it's definitely not to inspire. It's definitely not to start any kind of anything, no movement. No, I never participated in Me Too, didn't wasn't a fit for me um, at the time. And so I, you, you will know when you are ready. But yeah, if you have gone through anything like this yourself, which the statistics are so shocking and disturbing that many will have, then I, I love you. I see you. Um, know that being whole and healed can and will fundamentally change your life. And you are worthy for your story to be heard. You are worthy to be believed. And yeah, your story, I truly believe is safe in the world now. So when we share, we heal. So this truly is my final healing. Uh, And every voice on this topic matters, as Grace said. So here is mine. Uh, Before I get in though, I don't like the word survivor. (laughs) So if anyone shares this episode, please don't, you know, use that word. I've never aligned or related to that word. I am a thriver. So I am not a sexual abuse survivor. I am a life thriver. That is who I am to my core. Um, And that is the title I will accept and the only title that I will accept. Um, But yeah, let us take a breath and begin. And it is a big one. Um, I remember years ago, years and years ago, sharing a TED style talk at a huge leadership event with the incredible Lisa Nichols and Mike Dooley. My mentor had David T.S. Wood had invited me onto that stage to speak, which was literally and still to this day, one of the greatest honors of my life. And I I said to him, you know, and, and my message at that time, this is 2015, I think it was 2016, maybe. Um, my message was about self-love and daily rituals within that and self-love mastery essentially and how I changed my life. And I shared with him my story. I said, you know, this is kind of what's happened and just quite matter-of-factly. And he even said at the time, you know, I don't think that audience and and the world is ready yet for that full story. Um, But like I said, I just, I know that it is now and even just being able to say, what I will and and how, not graphic, but just tell the story and not hide away or feel awkward, which I haven't for a very long time, uh, is very empowering and very still cathartic. It is still cathartic. So my story begins with me losing my virginity to a pedophile. I was at best six at the biggest push, maybe seven, And I wish that I could say that that is when my sexual abuse started. Um, I cannot remember my earliest memory, but medical and mum's accounts uh, very uh, shockingly and devastatingly put it from when I was actually a baby in nappies. Now, 
I want to say, I feel like I I wasn't going to say this, but I I want to say this. Pedophiles are manipulative. I was going to say the C word, but I won't. But the pedophiles are manipulative. They prey on the weak and they prey on, yeah, just the weak essentially. And I know for a fact my perpetrator and the pedophile who molested and raped me, his name was Adrian, I know that he absolutely preyed upon my mum knowing, I, I know, I absolutely know, knowing that she was a woman stuck in an already very abusive relationship or marriage to my asshole stepfather, Bob, um, and I'll get into him as well. Um, and, yeah, so he groomed me, he groomed my mother, he groomed the family, uh, he groomed, yeah, I, I was groomed, my mum was groomed. So when I'm sharing things like this, I trust and know and hope that just like any woman or person with um that has suffered sexual abuse that there's no blame put on anyone and there's no you know I I would know because you 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 probably wouldn't if you were groomed as well then unfortunately you probably wouldn't know that this was happening to your daughter or child so this is another reason why I want to share this story that I mean never in the history of our world has there been more abuse and pedophiles online and offline uh, and I absolutely have a fire to to bring that darkness into the light so how we know or how um, I know essentially that the abuse started when I was in nappies is when my story came to light essentially I was a very you know abused essentially young girl and the sad thing about abused young girls is they grow up into I did angry young women and I had turned 16 I was 15 or 16 and I was going off the rails you know my mindset was and I remember saying it in a fight to mum once this had all come out um I was very sexual not even sexually active very promiscuous absolutely gave no fucks about my body um you know I just had this mentality that well my virginity was taken I don't have virginity I didn't have my virginity so I was just like well men don't give a fuck about me I don't give a fuck about men um so I was promiscuous from 14 um and I remember turning 15 and just mum being quite concerned (laughs) she was very she still is but very religious um, and I, although I was a straight A, kind, respectful by all accounts, you know, very driven even then young woman, I was making very bad decisions for my life. I had terrible friends. I was like binge drinking really badly, um, very promiscuous, very, very fucking angry, like very angry. Um, and just, yeah, in this perpetual cycle of victim mentality and who could blame me, of course, giving myself grace. Um, but I kept a diary and I wrote in that diary in graphic detail since I was 11 years of age, maybe even 10, I should have pulled it back out, but um, my hate for Adrian, I would, you know, I, I, listed out, you know, some of the incidences that he had done to me, um, 
whilst, you know, writing pig, C-U-N-T, you know, fucking asshole. Just I would put all of my feelings and anger and frustration onto the page. And when I turned 15, mum sent me off to a church camp and when I came home, uh, she was sitting in the kitchen with my diary and I will never forget the feeling. I will never forget the feeling. I, I'm grateful that she ended up finding it because this is how the truth came out, essentially. I had never told a single soul about what had happened to me and I'll get into all of that. Um, I was terrified. I was shamed by him. I was threatened by him, all of the things. Um, and I was groomed by him since I was a very, very, very little girl. So I was 15, 16. Mum read my diary and... Yeah, I came in the door, saw it in her hands, had, I mean, looking back now, probably what would absolutely be considered a mental breakdown, a nervous breakdown. Um, I just felt so violated and terrified, fucking terrified that somebody finally knew the truth, that this disgusting, dark, cancer fueling secret just the amount of angst and guilt and pain and and disgust and anger that I held over it was out in the world and mum knew and it terrified me and but it also in hindsight freed me and you know I was inconsolable on my bed and so was mum and she Actually, no, I was still in the kitchen. That's right, fuck. And, you know, she was begging me, begging me to, you know, we have to put this man in jail, sweetheart. We have to go to the police. We have to put this pig behind bars and let him rot in hell. And I was just like, no way. Like, there's no way I'm, you know, I can't even handle that you know. There's no way I'm going to get on a stand. And all these years later, which I was only nine or ten when it stopped, um, and only because he moved away. But uh, I just was like, there's so that was only five ish years later. But I was just like, I won't be believed. Um, I don't want to be called a whore. Unfortunately, one of my favourite shows on TV was Law and Order at the time. So all I used to watch was Law and Order, basically, and see these women who had been raped or sexually abused getting on the stand and their perpetrators walking free because, you know, and they were called whore or they deserved it or they asked for it. Um, And I just was like, there's just no way. And I also couldn't face him. I absolutely, I think at my deepest core level, I knew at that point in my life that I would rather have him walk free than ever have to sit in a room and face him again. I just was not, I was 15, I was fucking in a spiral, I hated him, all the things. And so mum, so we're standing in the kitchen and I was saying, no, 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 no. And, you know, mum's having her own mental nervous breakdown. And, you know, she said to me, I can't remember the exact words, but she had said, you know, sweetheart, I was always so terrified that something like this was happening. And, um, there, you know, I even at one stage had accused Bob, so my stepfather, of, of, of abusing me. And I he never, ever, I always like to just make damn sure because he was very violent, but never once did he ever, ever sexually abuse me. Um, 
but mum had said, you know, I had thought it might be Bob because I knew something was going on. I'd taken you to the doctors because, you know, things were going on down there that shouldn't have been when you were very little. And um, at one stage when you were in nappies, I had taken off your nappy and there was, you know, black pubes in your nappy. And I was a baby. Now, at that point, when you are 15 and very fucking broken and disgusted at your sheer existence, hearing that fucked me up for sure. And I remember, so I've got three very deep cuts or scars on my left arm. I was a cutter once, one time I did it, but it was once was enough. Um, But, and it was that moment that made me. And I could never explain the pain to you that I felt, not not because of mum, just the fact that the man that I already hated more than fucking Satan himself, more than any evil in the world, had literally done this to me even before I could remember. And the pain was so excruciating to me. The, the sheer breath I was breathing was insufferable that I grabbed a kitchen knife and locked myself in my bedroom and very, very deeply cut three massive slices into my arm. And I didn't want to die. I definitely didn't want to die, Um, although I felt like I did. I did it because I needed two reasons. And so I always say I understand kids that cut when they're not. It wasn't for attention. Fuck, it was not for attention. So the, the, the cutters that do it, A, for me, I, I just so desperately wanted to feel like I owned my body and I felt like doing that for some fucked up reason, you know, at 15 and broken, allowed me to do that. And number two, I wanted the pain to go away and I thought that cutting very deeply into my left arm would do that. And it did momentarily before I passed out. Um, And it did. And so that's where my cuts come from. If you ever sort of see, (laughs) don't look now. No. Um, And I've actually thought about in later years, getting them lasered off. um, If you can, like trying to do some scar reduction, but I actually like them because that is just, that's a reminder for me from my darkest moment in my life um, that I have one <laughs> and I thrive. Anyway, so that happened. We were there at that point and I couldn't um, face him. I couldn't, so I was like, no, we're not charging him, etc. And then that's a whole other, you know, sort of journey and story from there. 16-year-old Anna or 15, 16-year-old Anna, now knowing that my mum knew, which really broke her, probably sent her into a nervous breakdown herself, um, turned into, you know, 17, 18, 19-year-old Anna who um, still hated herself probably more than she had prior, had no self-confidence, had no negative a million self-worth, could you imagine, uh, me today, <laughs> um, and just absolutely doing anything and everything to numb every part of who I was, how I felt, the secrets that I felt I had within the shame that I felt, the guilt that I felt, the dis- 
disgust that I felt for myself. Um, and so I did. I, I, I fucked, drank, binge drank and cut and drugged my way through my teenage years, essentially, um, until I turned 21, 20, it was 21, the year I was 21, 22, just on the cusp of 22, um, hit my absolute rock bottom, admitted into hospital with, you know, the most severe anxiety on planet Earth. Um, and, you know, that's the self-love episode. So go back and listen to that if you haven't. But that's, that is, there you go. That's kind of now those two episodes can be pieced together. Um, but I want to share some of my earliest memories. I want to talk about, I don't want to just be like, oh, you know, mum read a diary and all the things. Um, but I want to talk about, I suppose, some of the stories um, and why I never talked about it, why I was um, so terrified to share when I was a young girl. I suppose that was a big thing for me as I got older, um, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, I then had a lot of shame and a lot of guilt uh, against my own self about why that probably fucked me up the most then in my sort of later years, so 15 to 21, just not understanding why I didn't say anything, uh, why I never spoke up, why I didn't, uh, I did, I always did to him, but not always actually, I was frozen often. Um, but, you know, why I didn't go home and say, you know, mum, help, like this is what's happening. I, I'm never going back to him. Um, so, yeah, so the worst, I honestly cannot remember my earliest memory, but I do remember, I always call it, you know, the, the night of hell, which was one of the worst, probably the night that I, what it was to me, the night that I lost my virginity to a pedophile, which was when he had gone from molesting and groping me and digitally raping me. He used to digitally rape me a lot, kiss me, um, just touch me, just total molesting uh, to progress to then to rape. And I was staying at he and Helen's house. His wife's name is Helen, uh, who I, I, I don't know. I'll get to the story of where he is at now and all the things. Um, I don't know, obviously, as a fact, if she knew, but she knew. You cannot not know that your husband is a pedophile. Um, and I also know that the church knew because we were, you know, big, 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 big churchgoers. And when mum had gone to actually had concerns that Bob was the one molesting me, she went to the priest, Clem, and Father Clem, and said to Clem, you know, I, I've got grave concerns. I need to escape, basically. I need to get out of the house. I need to run away. I think Bob is molesting Anna. And he, mum said to me, you know, I'll never forget, he looked me dead in the eyes and said, you know, don't worry, it's not Bob. But mum said at the time, she's like, I didn't pick up on her. She was a broken young woman, you know, abused herself. And she was like, you know, it was like he knew exactly who was doing it, but it wasn't Bob. So don't worry. Um, so they can all rot <laughs> as far as I am concerned, um, as in Clem and Helen and Adrian. So my earliest memory, I don't remember, but the worst night of, of losing my virginity to a pedophile. 
he had come into the room that I was staying at in their house, which was kind of just like a lounge room almost. And yeah, just literally took off my knickers, was kissing me. um, And I was absolutely frozen. I was crying. I always cried. I begged him to stop. I said, you know, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Um, You know, no, no, no. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. Please stop. And he got on top of me. He was a fat man as well, like a big, fat, smelly man and, and proceeded to rape me. And it wasn't um, aggressive. It wasn't, um, he always was very careful to not rip or tear too bad essentially um, because then it absolutely would have been unequivocally, undeniably obvious what was going on. Um, but that was the night of hell. So that was the night that basically I remember thinking, well, this is it. Like this, this is my life. Like I am trapped in this hell and I don't know how the fuck to get out. And that night he had told me that I was a good girl. And that's why I'll never, ever call anyone a good girl or good boy. I just, I don't agree with it. Um, but he'd said I was a good girl and I wasn't allowed to tell anyone and, um, you know, this is what happens when when people love one another and, and all the things that, that perpetrators and pedophiles do to groom young girls and boys. Um, but I also remember that he, he abused me everywhere. He abused me at our house. So he would, you know, touch and molest me at our house when no one, you know, it, no one saw and knew. He abused me in church. So he would take me and put him on his lap um, and abuse me that way. He abused me obviously at his house. Um, but I remember even, you know, being in when mum and Bob would, you know, they were some of our closest family friends, by the way, it's generally how it happens. Um, so they were church from our church and very close family friends. So I would often be taken there for sleepovers um, and then they would always be at our house. But I remember one time when, in fact, the, the night that I was raped, so that week that I was, I think I was staying there for a few days. Like I know I was staying there for a few days. I don't know if it was a week, it was school holidays or three days or five days, I can't remember. Um, but when I was being picked up and, you know, mum and Bob had, had come in the house and they were having tea and, and Adrian wanted to show Bob something on the computer. And, you know, so he picked me up and I was only five, six. Um, so still a child, still a baby in my eyes, um, and taken into the computer room and Bob was on the chair looking at the computer and Adrian was digitally raping me. And here I am six at, at a push at a stretch uh on my rapist's lap with bob next to me who absolutely did not know or couldn't see he you know but he was physically violent so bob was very uh very physically violent towards mum and all of us kids and i just remember thinking as a young girl like i'm fucked like, this is it. Like, no one is going to help me. Like, th- this is just my normal. If I'm not getting physically abused by Bob in his, you know, moments of rage, then I have this pedophile. I didn't n- know that term at the time, but I have this man that 
won't leave me the fuck alone and this is just my life. This is it. Um, and then what would happen though and why I felt so stuck and I, and I remember like in hindsight and with, you know, some psychology sessions and, and I'm more since I'm, I say this with every fucking fiber in my being, a psychologists are so important in the healing process. If that's your healing, um, modality, it was part of mine, but people do say like, how are you? Okay. And I remember mom, even when I sort of turned, well, probably 18, 19, um, she used to say, you know, you could be a prostitute with a needle in your arm with what you've suffered and look at you, you know, I was ducks of year 11 and that was my rebellion um, education and um, just controlling my schooling environment essentially. But I remember when I was getting some psychology to actually more help me understand why I never spoke up, um, I... When, but then I, when I was going through all my stories, you know, this amazing psychologist was like, you, you, how could you have, you know? So because, and here's this story, I used to have severe, 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 hospitalized every single week, childhood asthma. Um, I grew up and grew out of it. I'm so grateful to this day for that. But I remember this one time that we missed church because I had a severe um, asthma attack. So mum had to take me to hospital. I think I got the shot that I usually do. I got put on oxygen and then I got sent home. But we missed church or I missed church. Bob still took the kids, um, the other kids. Mum took me to hospital. I'd come home. I was in the papasan chair, and which is like this big comfy egg chair. And I'll never forget that there's a knock at the door and in walks Adrian and Helen, and so they're Pentecostal Christians. So, f- like, Pentecostal Christians aren't fucking crazy, but my these Pentecostal Christians were fucking crazy. And they were like, "Oh, why?" You know, Adrian's like, "Why did you miss church? We missed Anna." I'm like, "Red fucking flag." And I remember at that moment, that's probably that's probably a moment that I wanted to die. I remember I just always I thought, "Here I am." I probably could have even been younger. I might have been five. But I remember, yeah, actually I would have been. I would have been four or five. So this could be an early memory or one of earliest. Um, laying in the papasan chair, very sick. So I was still struggling to breathe. I was very dizzy, um, just sick. I felt very sick. Um, but I was so happy, so happy that I had missed church that day because I didn't have to see him. I remember that feeling so well and wasn't molested that Sunday because he, he didn't have access to me. And then he rocked up at the house and I died. Like I just remember thinking I just want to die. I, I want to die. I will never be free of this man. I will never be safe from this man. Like even if mum keeps me away or like I have a panic, att- uh, panic attack, an asthma attack, panic attacks came later. Um, he, he has access to me. He's just going to come to the house and have access to me. And he'd said he came into the house and he was like, oh, Bob and the other kids had gone to church, uh, but I was the child missing. And he was like, oh, we missed you. What's wrong? And mum said, oh, she's had a really severe um, asthma attack. She's not well. And he prayed over me and rebuked Satan to leave my body like a psycho and like did this whole like 
hand on my head, like Satan be gone, like just crazy shit. And I was just like, I am cooked. I'm cooked. I just want to die. Like I, Lord Jesus, fucking Satan, anyone take me away. Like just get me away from this man. And then another time in the same house, so this is in Whittington, which was the Bronx, (laughs) Um, I remember Bob had really badly beaten mum and and us, some of us kids, I think it was Nate and I, we were bruised and mum was very bruised. So we had to miss church, which was not uncommon. Oh, yeah, it wasn't uncommon because it was obvious, right? So Bob fucked up. He put bruises too too obviously on us. Um, So he chose to keep us from church that day, which was like huge for him because, um, yeah, it was obvious. So we skipped church that day and then lo and behold, guess who rocked back up to the house? Not just Adrian. Um, I think his name was Rick. Just a few of the congregation led by Adrian, absolutely led by Adrian. And they knocked on the door and mum, you know, we'd sort of seen them coming. I was very little and mum and Bob told us kids to hide. They were like, hide and don't, and be quiet. Don't talk. You know, we, we don't want to answer the door, so don't make a noise. So us kids ran and hid in my brother, my eldest brother Nate's room and mum and Bob hid in their bedroom, I think. I don't know where they went. And we were hiding. We couldn't make a noise. And mum had said, you know, they'll go. Like they'll knock, but they'll go. Anyway, they didn't leave. And <laughs> they knocked and knocked and knocked. Then they went around the whole house. And Adrian, I just remember, because I was trying to hide from him specifically, Um, They were going around to all the windows, trying all the windows, looking through all the windows. Nate had closed his curtains. And then they got to Nate's window and Nate was like old, oldest. Um, So he obviously used to sneak out. So his fly screen was like the easiest to take off. And they took the windscreen off or Adrian took the windscreen off, opened the window and he was fat. Like he was a big fat man. And climbed through the window so broke into our house to like find us and I remember I'll never forget that's honestly if I have to like go back and think about probably my earliest um, manifestation of anxiety it was that actual moment because the fear was so overwhelming to me that I just remember being paralyzed on the floor we were all kind of huddled together us kids Again, that he is my perpetrator. I'm in my home and we had not had to see him, but he's just broken into our house and here the fuck he is again. Just here he is. So they were just some of the stories. I'm literally telling you, I think two or three. There are so many. Um, But this was an evil, evil man who absolutely deserved to rot in jail And then, so what happened was I healed. I healed, I healed, I healed. I forgave and I healed and I became whole. I went on my journey. I began my journey of self-love. Go back and listen to that episode. I don't talk about any of this. Um, But by the way, so also I should say, um, I don't know why. I've never bothered to, I don't actually give a shit why. Um, but the abuse stopped when he moved away. So we lived in Geelong, Victoria, 
Um, Adrian and Helen lived, I don't know, they, they didn't live in Geelong. They lived, I just remember it was coastal, somewhere coastal. Um, and when I turned 10, I remember I was 10, uh, he moved, they moved to Western Australia. Um, and it's <laughs> another story. Was, so they moved to Western Australia and, and the abuse stopped. And I cannot, I will never, ever, 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 ever forget the feeling of mum actually telling me, you know, oh, just to let you know, you know, like Adrian and Helen are gone. And I was like the most happy, excited, elated, emotional, free child that you have ever met because I was in shock. I I remember, again, it's all hindsight, right? But the feeling now I can articulate and understand is shock. I went into shock because I was like, he's gone. Like, I don't, and they went quite quickly. I remember that because I remember thinking even at 10, uh, I had to grow up very quickly and so I had a very adult mind. But I remember thinking that's odd. He didn't, you know, there was no last abuse or I'm going and so, which he was very much like. He would talk to me, he would tell me things, he, um, yeah, all, all those kinds of things. So I remember thinking I feel like they fled in my opinion. I feel like maybe Helen found out um, and, you know, ripped him away uh, and, so they, they went to Western Australia um, and then that was the end of that. That was it. And then I kept writing in my diary. And then that's actually when I started to write in my diary. It stopped. He, he went away. And then I was left to pick up the broken pieces of myself as a 10-year-old. And how I put myself back together in those early days was I wrote. <laughs> so I, I feel like lots of who I am is starting to come together maybe for you where I love to write. I've always loved to write. I picked up a pen it was a pen actually. I was like, was it a pencil? I was 10. It was a pen when I was 10 or 11 and started to write in my white diary with silver love hearts all over it. Um, and so began the healing process through writing for me. And in that diary contained those stories uh, that mum eventually picked up and read five years later. And that's where we're back up in the story. Now, fast forward into 22 I had began my self-love journey. I was about a year into it. I was a year into it. Um, and I was whole and healed. Even then, I was very like, I chose to be whole and healed. I did the work to be whole and healed. I forgave. I released. I did all the things for my own self to be whole and healed. It's No, it, I was. I was like, I'm not even going to be this love, a lifelong journey. It's not for me. It absolutely is not. He holds, it holds, he holds not a fucking ounce of energy or anything in my body, with my body, nothing. So I was 22 and I can't remember if I texted her or I called her, but I remember just saying um, at some point to my mum, mum, I'm ready to charge this cunt. (laughs) I get to say that, okay? If that offends you, I don't care. Mum, I get to charge this cunt. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm ready to do it. I'm finally ready to do it. Mum was obviously elated um, <laughs> and was like, let's do it. We launched straight into it. Um, the police were engaged. Um, I remember speaking to, it was actually, I was so terrified for so long that I wouldn't be believed um, that I would be um, disrespected in a way, 
um, that I would be embarrassed, that I would be asked questions like, you know, that I felt like I couldn't stand in my total power and answer as in like, well, why didn't you say anything for tears? You know, why did you never tell your mom or why did you, you know, even though we know that young, that children don't when they've been groomed. Um, but so they were all of my greatest fears and not one of them was realized ever. It was this beautiful, I remember, um, I spoke to, you know, sexual crimes and, and police were engaged. Uh, and I remember a sergeant called me back and introduced himself. It was a male. And he actually, you know, explained, he said, you know, your story's really touched my heart. It's, it's, it's big and it's heartbreaking. And I am personally putting myself on this case because I want to see this man, this animal brought to justice and I will do it under, under every sec I'm going to do this. Um, and it came to a point as well. So obviously there's, um, issues when you are 22 and the abuse happened from nappies to 10, um, that's 10 years or 11 years of, um, time lapsed essentially there's no technical evidence that you can't take semen from the vagina or anything like that um, but unfucking believably my diary entries from when I was 10 years of age were the thing that were going to put him behind bars so um, I, you know, had submitted that over to the police I think because they were saying oh we need you know god if we could just have um, they, I remember they said to me at the time, you know, dates are important and, you know, quite graphic detail, if you can remember, which we, we understand you, you won't be able to because you were young and you forget these things. And I was like, no, no, I've kept a diary. Like I've written, I wrote not graphic, but, you know, I'm explaining it to them. I said, but I wrote, you know, entries from 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 up to um, of just how much I hated this man and, and because he raped me and because he would molest me and I fucking hated him and they, like, I just remember their, like, their eyes lit up and jaws opened and they, they were like, we've got him. We cannot believe that you've done it. We've got him. And so I submitted my diary over. They took all the evidence essentially, which was just photocopying my diary. And then they said, look, we're going to go charge him. Um, be ready. Obviously, it's going to go to court. Um, you will have to face him. I was ready. I felt great. I was like, no, I'm ready for this. At this time, I was headed into 22 years of age. Um, and then um, I remember my beautiful mum came over to the house in tears one day. I lived in St. James in Vic Park in Perth. She came over and she was sort of shaking a little bit and she was in tears. And I was like, fuck, what's wrong? And she's like, look, I have something to tell you. And I had to be here to tell you. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, why? Fuck, what's happened? You know, who's died sort of thing? <laughs> she said, well, actually, Adrian has. And I was in the kitchen. Morgs was there, beautiful Morgs. And I collapsed essentially on the bench. And I said, I just need a minute. And we had, it was a, what was that, a three by two? Anyway, I went into the spare bedroom, funnily enough, not even my bedroom, and laid on the bed and just sobbed and sobbed. And so I said, you know, I just need time by myself for a minute. Just let me process this. And I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And it wasn't even that long. I don't know how long, but maybe five or ten minutes. 
And I came back out and mum and Morgs were kind of standing there like apprehensively. And I said, do you know what? It's okay. That man got exactly what he deserved. And this is God's way of, you know, whatever, just handing him his karma and me not actually having to sit there and face him. And that's okay. He got his karma. And that was... 11 years ago, 11 years ago, and it has continued to be me being whole and healed and eternally grateful that he dropped dead. And he, I, I remember saying to my mum, do you know how he died? Because I actually, I thought, oh, you know, hopefully it was painful. Um, that's my thought at the time. Um, and she said, oh, look, I'm not sure. They can't really tell us that, obviously, that's, you know, fuck, I wish they could, you know, rah, rah. Anyway, and the beautiful sergeant, the one who'd had my back and just personally, and he was the one that um, was going to go and arrest him and all the things, uh, and he he actually called me and said, because mum had said to them at the time, I think, because the sergeant obviously was going to call me and let me know, and from my memory, mum was like, no, I want to and need to tell her. I want to be there as well for her when she finds out. Um, just in case I wasn't okay. Um, and I, he called, he called that day or the next day. And he said, look, I'm actually not meant to tell you this, but I'm going to, he's like, you know, I looked up how he died. He was, he was still in WA, by the way. He was in, I don't know where, I think maybe down South from memory. Um, but he pulled into a shopping center. He got out of his car, literally stepped out of the driver's seat. I think Helen was there and dropped dead of a heart attack. Oh, so he's off this earth, thank God, um, and can't hurt anyone anymore, can't hurt any children because, and that was a big reason, by the way. I actually, as crazy maybe as this may sound to some people, I remember saying to mum when I was 22, I was whole and healed and it was, that was enough for me. I actually was like, I don't, I didn't need to charge him for me. I just recognized at that age and sort of with the growth that I'd had and the healing that I'd done, I said to mum, you know, once a pedophile, always a fucking pedophile. I need to put this man behind bars because what if he's doing it to other, like I just couldn't, I was like, I couldn't live with myself for that reason. And so that was my journey. And so I said to mum, I said, no, I'm so glad and grateful that he died and died how he died because I was like, he, he can't hurt anyone anymore. He wasn't hurting me as in, at, at, in any way, energetically, memory, emotionally, spiritually, but I just thought he can't hurt anyone anymore and that's, that's Earth's greatest gift. So that leads us to now, my beautiful loves. I hope you are okay. I am certainly okay, but take a breath if you need to. Um, but that leads us to this piece around why I am doing a half Ironman. <laughs> 10 years ago, longer now, so 11 years ago, I was completely fucking broken and dead inside. And if I was totally honest, even though I would never have had the courage, thank God, to kill myself, I, not courage, I should, that's the wrong thing to say it, but that's my truth in that moment. Like I was, I could never have done it. Thank fuck. Um, I wanted to die. 
And that was only 11 years ago. So broken, dead and wanting to die. And oh, I'll get emotional now. Isn't that funny? I can do the whole thing. That's how much it doesn't affect me until I say this. But <clears throat> two in 11 days competing in my first half Ironman. And I'm crying because I'm so fucking proud. That from 11 years ago, being a woman that did want to die and being so broken and dead too in 11 days, competing in a first half Ironman and the journey that I have been on to get to this point, I am so fucking proud of. And that is why I am doing a half Ironman because I remember <laughs> I was in the water. The gun had sounded in Raby Bay for uh, March to 2020. And I had taken off and I was in my very first triathlon <laughs> And I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I had only given myself 33 days of prep, but I was in the water and I was so panicked and I honestly thought that I couldn't do it. And I almost put my hand up to, for the lifeguard to come over. And I remember just thinking, like, the bad bitch Anna stepped in and was like, girl, you've got this one stroke in front of the other. And I kept going. And I remember thinking, like, mid-panic attack almost in the water, I'm fucking doing it. Like, I am doing the damn thing. And I had this literal out-of-body experience where I looked down and I was like, never have I ever, ever felt so empowered and strong and proud of the woman that I am. And I'm fucking doing the damn thing. And I remember getting out of the water with tears in my eyes thinking, this is fucking it. This is I am officially dedicating this triathlon to me. <laughs> this is in Raby. And I am doing it as the final puzzle piece of my healing process of reclaiming all of myself and just taking total reclamation of my body and honouring my body. And for every time that a piece of me was taken when that man did anything to me or even when Bob hit me, this is my body now. And it has been for a very long time, but just coming out of that water, it was like an anointment. It was like, this is the healing piece for me. This is the final piece that I didn't even realize needed to be clicked in to my life that I thought, this is it. This is me showing my own body and self and soul how fucking strong and powerful I am and how I control my body, how I have full sovereignty over my body. I always have and I always will. 
And it was this beautiful dedication to myself. And I remember running into the bike, getting on the bike. I just couldn't stop crying. I was so proud of myself. I was so in my body. And that is to this day, one of the greatest feelings of pride and love that I've ever felt. And I finished (laughs) that race and immediately looked up. I don't even think we were at the car. I immediately looked up um, my second race (laughs) and I got that done. And then I did my third and then I did my fourth and then I did my fifth and then I did my sixth and then I did my seventh. And as I said, in 11 days, I'm about to compete in my first half Ironman. But this first half Ironman is that total declaration and absolute forgiveness to myself and my body for every time I never spoke up, for every time I abused it, for every time that I put it down, for every time that I've just done anything that didn't support it and my own highest good. This half Ironman is just dedicated to my body and its sovereignty and its power and its strength. And every time I'm on the treadmill, every time, and I picture running over that red carpet, I cry (laughs) because that's, you now know why I'm doing this. And it means so fucking much to me. And, you know, I'd said to Morgs before we separated, I said, I just feel like for so many people that are in the sport, (laughs) it is a beautiful sport and they're all so fucking amazing. But I said, you know, my time (laughs) may be laughable. I'll finish, don't you worry, fuck. But I was like, you know, my time might be incomparable to people and all of the things, but you watch, I'm going to run over that fucking finish line like I've just won the goddamn thing and celebrate like I have because, oh, I'm so emotional. But because it's this final reclamation and declaration of my strength and power and just this beautiful pin in my life map and chapter closing of that story and truth of what I've been through. And I'm just so fucking excited and proud. So that is why I chose to compete in my first half Ironman for all of the pain and all of the grief and all of the trauma and all of the suffering and all of the anger and all of the hurt and all of the abuse that was inflicted upon my body. I forgive it. I have released it long ago. And this is now my love letter to my body to show it its power and strength and to cross that finish line as a woman who has gone from broken and dead and wanting to die to being a fucking half Ironman finisher. And I am more proud than I can ever say. So when I cross that line, friends, loves, you will get to celebrate this fact with me now. And this is why this this episode was so important for me to get out before I did it because I want you to share in that moment with me. I think that this has always been my life's work to share my own life, to share suffering, to share joy, to share grief, to share 
excitement and to take people along with that journey and just show you what a life of full embodiment of joy and freedom and integrity and love looks like. And when I cross that finish line, now you've listened to this, you just know the bigger, deeper meaning. And that to me means the world to me. And sharing this with you has meant the world to me. And bring on June fucking 6th, baby. I cannot wait. So I love you. I hope you're okay. It was an emotional one. It was a big one. Uh, I am okay. I'm so okay. Um, And I'm just so excited for what's next as well. But let's get through this half Ironman. Um, And I just want to say as well, obviously, if you have also you know, if you have a story, any story of abuse and you haven't shared it before or you haven't felt like it's safe to speak about it, please know that you are seen and believed and it is safe. And as I said, if if my own sharing of that story of, of my upbringing can help, not inspire, just help hold the space for you like Grace Tame did for me, then what a gift. And, yeah, I'm here. The world is here. Your girlfriends are there. Police are there. People are waiting to, to see you and hold you and believe you. Um, but I love you. Thank you for, for listening. Um, and I will see you on the next episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. And as always, I truly hope you got something out of this episode that you can use to challenge your own status quo. If you liked what you heard, it would mean so much to me if you shared this episode on your socials to help get this podcast more out in the world. Don't forget either to tag me personally at Anna Rose underscore Richards so I can thank you personally. If you're also loving the conversations, leaving a review on iTunes by going to the podcast, scrolling down and clicking leave review will help even more amazing humans that need to find me, find me. As always, I am eternally grateful that you're tuning in and until the next episode, know that I am always cheering on your sovereignty and success.